It's my uh, privilege and responsibility to bring the message this morning. Um, it's quite, uh, mark you, I think no one else was prepared to do it because it was uh, preparing <coughs> over the holiday period. <laughs> this is a short story, no, not really. Lovely, yes. Now, this morning's uh, talk is the fifth, and I think it's the last. Where's it? Craig. Okay. 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 Uh, this morning's talk is the fifth and the last in a series uh, whose titles begin Emmanuel Is. Now, I wonder whether we remember. We had a few things to help us to remember, didn't we? Um, anyone remember the first one? God is, Emmanuel is faithful. Well done, yes, lovely. And the second one, Emmanuel is, yeah, that was the, um, yeah, the, uh, something about the sea, the myrrh, and the, the myrrh, and the, and the, oh, that's the next one, isn't it? So the next one was what? Emmanuel is dependable with the bull in the deep end of the, of the uh, pool, that's right. And then last week was what? Wonderful, this is good. One or two people remember, anyway. Emmanuel is, uh, is loving, and we didn't have anything special to remember that. If you can't remember loving, there's something wrong with you. Um, uh, and this is our last one. Emmanuel is gracious. If you want help to remember, there's grey hair. I live in Grey Lane, and I'm constantly saying, shh. <laughs> That'll do, won't it? Now, when Craig first gave me this title, I, I wondered how I would deal with it. And for better or worse, in the end, I decided to do a detailed word study uh, in the original languages. And I found it both interesting, encouraging, and challenging. And I hope you'll find it interesting, uh, encouraging, and challenging. I promise to use no foreign words. Um, not get too technical, although it's very interesting. There's a guy, I can't know, remember his name, uh, there's this quote that he, he, he buried his head in a Greek lexicon and found himself in the presence of God. And that's been, in a way, my experience uh, over the last two weeks uh, as I've been opening the books and getting back to the, the original things. So... For better or worse, and you can judge, uh, this is it, <laughs> I hope. So, God is gracious. Yeah. First reference to the graciousness of God in the Hebrew Bible comes in Genesis 33, 5 and 11, where Jacob tells Esau that God has graciously given him children and he has everything he needs because God has been gracious to him. In other words, he recognises that uh, he didn't deserve God's blessings. Uh, by this time, by the way, Jacob has 11 sons and one daughter. Now, uh, whether, whether we would regard that as an expression of the graciousness of God, I'm not sure. Maybe you need, maybe if your name's Boris. But of course, in Old Testament times, uh, the psalmist writes, children are a heritage from the Lord, 
offspring of are a reward from him. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. Well, we're all quivering, aren't we? Um, I'm not sure how many a quiver is, by the way. Someone can tell me afterwards. But you see, Jacob uses this word to acknowledge that he's not deserved or earned God's blessings. God has been gracious to him. Got the, the essence of this word gracious. He didn't deserve this, to have all these children. Apparently he wanted them. Um, and I wonder whether that's been our experience during 2023, that God has been gracious to us. A whole lot of things that we never deserved have been poured out upon us. This is what I hope we'll be feeling as we work through uh, this word. Right, the next reference uh, to the graciousness of God is in one of the miscellaneous commands in uh, Exodus 22, and it reads something like this. If you've got a Bible, you can follow me with some of these, and I'll put the main ones on the screen anyhow. If you ever take your neighbour's cloak as a pledge, you are to return it to him before the sun sets, for that is his only covering. It's the cloak for his body. What else is he to sleep in? And it will come about that uh, when he cries to me, says God, I will answer him, I will listen to him, for I am gracious. Okay? So you've got the sort of idea. Um, some of the translations have, for I am compassionate. That's okay. Just a different word in Hebrew. There's this poor man. He's unable to pay his debts, right, to his creditor. So he has to pawn his cloak. And that's the cloak that he uses during the night as an equivalent to a blanket, a sleeping bag, a duvet, whatever. Uh, and he's going to go cold, isn't he? But God says, no, I'm a gracious God. I expect my people to be gracious as well and for the well-off to be kind and compassionate to those who are struggling fi financially. There's a message for us at the beginning of, of the new year. We are very well off, aren't we? Compared with the rest of the world, compared with even some people in Whitney, we're very well off. How are we expressing the graciousness of God that means that we think about what people's needs are? This poor man needs his cloak at night. This is, it's very down to earth. I love this, you know? Okay, then we're going to move on. And this is where if you've got a Bible, you might want to follow this in your Bible. And we're going to Mount Sinai with Moses. <coughs> the Moses and the Israelites at Mount Sinai. Moses has received two stone tablets with the Ten Commandments, um, but he smashed them to pieces because he saw the people worshipping the golden bull calf. Then Moses attempts to persuade God to forgive the people. He even offers to die instead of the people. But God is adamant, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. Right? God then tells Moses to lead the people up to, to the land of Canaan, the promised land, and he'll send an angel to guide them and help them to take the land. But he himself will not be going with them because they prove themselves a rebellious people and a holy God cannot coexist with unrepentant sinners. His anger at their sin is like a blazing fire and it will inevitably destroy them. I'm not going with you, says God. Now the people are understandably distressed 
as I pointed out in, in 2014 when I expounded the book of Exodus on, on a Sunday evening, some of you may remember this, uh, it's a bit like the incident in Tolkien's uh, novel The Hobbit, you know, um, where Bilbo Baggins and a dozen dwarfs are preparing to enter the forest of Mirkwood. And they unexpectedly learn that Gandalf, the wizard, will not be going with them. And the unhappy news is greeted with instant dismay. This is what it says. The dwarves groaned and looked most distressed, and Bilbo wept. They'd begun to think that Gandalf was going to come all the way and would always be with them to help them out of difficulties. They begged him not to leave them. They offered him dragon gold and silver and jewels, but he wouldn't change his mind. Now, we can see that both in The Hobbit and in Lord of the Rings, Gandalf is a kind of Christ figure who comes and goes, but he's always present at the critical moment, yes? When he's needed. And the question that faces Moses at this point at Mount Sinai, is whether God can be persuaded to change his mind and accompany his people into the promised land. And it says the people removed their ornaments as a sign of repentance. It's the beginning of chapter 33. Will that be enough? And at this point, Moses makes three requests to God and God graciously answers each one of them. And I'm going to read this bit. This is so important. Moses said to the Lord, You've been telling me, lead these people, but you haven't let me know whom you will send with me. You've said, I know you by name, and you've found favour with me. If you're pleased with me, teach me your ways, so that I may know you and continue to find favour with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, by the way, that Hebrew word presence, the Hebrew, oh, I wasn't going to mention it. It means face. It's literally face. If your face doesn't go with us, it's a lovely picture. Uh, how will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with, me, with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I'm pleased with you and I know you by name. This is an important section. I want to just pause on this for a little while. Three requests that Moses has. To know God, to have God's presence with him, and to see God's glory. That's the verse I didn't read. Verse 17, 18. Now show, me your, now show me your glory. Let me read a bit more, sorry. Now show me, show me your glory, says Moses. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy or, or uh, graciousness on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one can see me and live. And then the Lord said, there's a place near me where you can stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I've passed by. This is fantastic stuff, isn't it? 
Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. Interesting, sometimes translates it presence, sometimes translates it face more literally, because God hasn't literally got a face, uh, because he's not a human being. But it's the presence of God, the, the awareness of the presence of God. But let's not pause for these things. Moses wants three things, to know God, to know God's presence with him, and to see God's glory. <coughs> and here we are at the threshold of a new year. And here's, here's the challenge from these three points in particular, right? Do we, like Moses, want to grow in our understanding of God's ways? If we do, that will involve activities like listening to the week weekly preaching, right? From God's Word. Attending a home group. Reading the scriptures more carefully and thoughtfully in relation to our current context. We, it won't just happen. It doesn't happen by some kind of spiritual osmosis, right? We've got to actually, maybe this is a, a New Year resolution. I am going to get a bit deeper in my Bible study with the help of other people, books, whatever, YouTube, but I'm going to. I'm not, I'm not going to be the same as I was in 2023. I'm going to get to know God better, right? But it's going to be not just head knowledge, not just words on a page, but it's relating it to my own experience, what I'm going through at that time, okay? Second thing, are we like Moses? Are we adamant that we don't want to go into the new year without the assurance of God's presence with us? Yeah? We shall see in a moment when we turn to the New Testament that that presence is definitely promised to us. I'll be with you always, says Jesus, doesn't he, to his disciples. Yeah? But we, we, are, we need to constantly remind ourselves, God is with us. I'm going into the new year, as that King's speech bit says, you know, we're putting my hand in the hand of God. I haven't got all these quotes, but I know what they are. I know they should be there somewhere, okay? Uh, and then thirdly, and this is more subtle, I think, in a sense, uh, do we, like Moses, want to catch a glimpse of the glory of God? Not just know about, about God and a few words that describe him, but, but some sense of the glory of God, of the outshining of, of his wonderful nature. And the New Testament writers will, will tell us, you don't have to seek a, a visionary experience. You simply have to look at Jesus. He is the light of the knowledge of the glory of God displayed in the face of Christ. I want to see the glory of God. I want to see your glory, says Moses. I think it would make a difference to our lives in 2024 if that was our feeling at the moment. I want to see the glory of God. I want to see your glory. I want more. Now we're going to read how, it, how God answered those three, shall we? I think the next lesson... I'm reading from chapter 34, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones, and I will write on them the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. <laughs> be, be ready in the morning, and then come up on Mount Sinai. Present yourself to me there on the top of the mountain. No one is to come 
with you or to be seen anywhere on the mountain, but even the flocks and herds may graze in front of the mountain. Not even the flocks and herds, sorry, may graze in front of the mountain. So Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones and went up Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord had commanded him. And he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, Yahweh. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Moses bowed to the ground at once and worshipped. Lord, he said, if I found favour in your eyes, then let the Lord go with us. Wow. This is how God revealed his glory to Moses. Yes, he does see something with his eyes. God retreating, as it were, the glory going away. But what he hears with his ears is much more important. He hears God explaining the meaning of this, this, this strange name, Yahweh. Nobody knows entirely uh, its origin. But it, 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 it's explained here in terms of the goodness of God, the graciousness of God, and the compassion of God. It's, this word gracious is very often linked from this passage onwards with the word compassion. Compassion and gracious. Compassionate and gracious. And the word compassionate does actually, in, in the original, conjure up the idea of a woman's feelings and actions towards the issue of her womb. Um, because it connects with the word for womb in the original. So to be compassionate is to be motherly. Right? The word gracious may also convey the idea of to be fatherly, if you want to put the two together. So we take the two together. Gracious and compassionate. These are wonderful words. These are beautiful uh, statements about the nature of the God that you and I worship and follow and whose hand we're going to hold as we go into 2024. Got it? Yeah. And this revelation here, this Exodus 34, verse 6, this revelation of the nature and character of God, it becomes the basis for what the rest of the, new, of the Old Testament and, and, the, and the writer's understanding of, of what God is like. It's quoted or alluded to throughout the whole of the Old Testament, especially in the Psalms, and I put all the references up there, um, plus a few others. And I think perhaps the last one is, 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 is an important one too. Jonah. <laughs> Jonah chapter 4. Um, it isn't, of course, in, in the book of Jonah that until we get to chapter 4 that we discover why Jonah was so reluctant to go to Nineveh, to, to the capital of Assyria, and to preach that message of judgment. In 40 days, God's going to destroy a lot of you. He didn't want God to change his mind. He, he knew that uh, if the inhabitants of that great city were to repent, then God would relent. He would spare them. Why? 
And here's the quote from the lips of Jonah. Because God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. That, that story of Jonah just illustrates this word, God is gracious. Jonah knew he was gracious. He didn't want him to be gracious to the, to the foreigners. Uh, there's a lesson for us there too as well. Uh, do, we, do we restrict, like Jonah was wanting to restrict the grace of God, the graciousness of God to his own people, to the Jewish people? Do we do that? Possibly. We mustn't. The graciousness of God is for all people. Turn to the New Testament now, shall we? There's lots more in the Old Testament, but that's not a, ba not a bad start. <laughs> when we turn to the New Testament, we actually may be surprised, if you look in a, uh, a concordance or something, uh, that the words gracious and graciously occur only a few times in our English translations. Here's one in Luke 4, 22, where he records that the congregation in the synagogue at Nazareth were amazed at the gracious words that came from the lips of Jesus. But actually, of course, in the original Greek, the word is just simply grace, the words of grace. And we're turning to the New Testament, we find not the word gracious, just the word grace, shorter. <laughs> uh, there's another passage... Yeah, the, some translations have the word gracious. Now that you've tasted that the Lord is good, he's kind, he's gracious. Um, that comes from Psalm 34, verse 8. And there's one or two others. So what, we, what, what you can see when you turn to the New Testament is that instead of using the word, the adjective gracious, the New Testament writers are constantly talking about the grace of God and the grace of Jesus Christ, our Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm going to go through one or two significant passages. Won't keep you too long, don't worry. Let's go back. I think it's Luke again. Yes. Luke tells us that the child Jesus grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. Now, I don't know how you might paraphrase that. I would, I would paraphrase it something like, God was gracious to him, God was blessing him, yes? The grace of God was on him. And, and, and God favoured him. It comes again, actually, in, in, in verse 52 as well. He had favour, grace with God and man. When we turn to John's Gospel, there's only actually the references in the prologue. It's amazing, really, when you think about it, Right? These are the only references in John's Gospel to the word grace, unless I've got it wrong. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory. We've got this connection with Moses again, you see. The glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Out of his fullness we have all received. Grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses... Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Isn't that lovely? Absolutely foundational, right? Then we move to Acts. Some interesting stuff in Acts. Uh, this is the one where Luke describes the Council of Jerusalem, where the teachers of the church debated whether the 
non-Jewish converts to Christ should be required to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses. And this was their wonderful conclusion. <laughs> we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. In other words, Jews, Gentiles. All right? The only way of salvation, they're saying, is by both the Jews and non-Jews, is by receiving it as a gift from God, made possible through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Not by trying to keep God's law, not by doing good things, not attempting to earn your salvation. It can't be done. Don't even try it. Just admit that you're a sinner who needs God's forgiveness and receive it by relying on what Jesus graciously did on the cross. Yeah. And my challenge this morning for everyone is, have you done that? <laughs> have you actually received the, the salvation that, that the grace of God wants to give you, that sent Jesus to the cross? Are, are you going to go into the new year, a new creation? I thought this was lovely. You know, it would be wonderful, wouldn't it, if someone went into the new year, a new creation, a new person. Yeah. I am a new creation. <laughs> no, no more in condemnation. Here in the grace of God I stand. Okay. And then, of course, we'll return to the letters of Paul, and we've had, had our quote already this morning, sort of. <laughs> uh, well, he writes a lot about the grace of God and the grace of, of, of Jesus. But, but I've just picked out this one in particular. We could, and maybe I'll read the other one. Um, uh, to the Ephesians then. All these lovely words. Look, Paul says, talks about the incomparable riches of God's grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you have been saved. Through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Have you got the message? He keeps repeating it, doesn't he? Earlier in that passage, he actually describes God as rich in mercy. Now, my good wife, always have to, you know, listen to her. Uh, she, th <laughs> she thinks I should uh, explain the difference between grace and mercy. Right? That grace is being given something you don't deserve, and mercy is not being given something that you do deserve. Very neat. Very, very neat. But too neat. The two words are virtually the same. They're virtual synonyms in the Bible. But very nice. If it helps, stick with it. But it's not in the Bible. Um, I will read this other one. Titus, because again, th these just, just, just so that we're getting this message. Never had so much time, it's wonderful. Here we go. Paul to, to Titus. When the kindness and love of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. Here you see mercy, grace, they're being used interchangeably. Hmm? He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Saviour, so that having been justified by grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. You can't get very far in Paul without coming across the word grace, can you? 
And then we come to what I think is really a gem. What a wonderful gem. Eh? Here it comes. It's in Paul's teaching about giving. In 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. Two whole chapters about giving. Suggests it might matter. Hmm? You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. What a wonderful, what a wonderful balanced statement there, right? We often take it out of its context. We just quote it on its own. We refer it to the incarnation, the Son of God coming into the world. And of course there's that lovely carol that starts off, Thou who wast rich beyond all telling, all for love's sake becamest poor. Yes, Christmas time, incarnation. But there are those who would say that the cross is also in view here, right? The ministry and the, uh, and the cross uh, and the willingness of Jesus to go to the cross. I think the main emphasis actually is on the incarnation. It's talking about the pre-incarnate Son of God surrendering all the insignia of divine majesty and assuming the frailty and vicissitudes of the human condition. So we sing, you laid aside your majesty, gave up everything for me. Yeah, these, these, these songs are helpful, aren't they? So, it's quite right to understand this verse, this lovely verse, in terms of the decision of Christ to come into this world to be born as a humble human baby. But don't stop there. Look at it in its context. It's very practical. Paul wants the Corinthians to follow the example of Jesus as he puts it to excel in the grace of giving. Now that's a challenge. You know? We, we all do a bit of giving, I guess. Because that makes us feel good anyway, doesn't it? But you know, excelling in the grace of giving means being like Jesus. He gave up everything. <laughs> so it's, 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 a, it's a tremendous standard for us. Of course, there's a similar passage to this, in a sense, which we're familiar with in Philippians, where Paul tells us to imitate the humility. Here it's the grace of Jesus, the humility of the Son of God in emptying himself, becoming a man, a servant, and embracing death on a cross. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So whether we think of the grace of Jesus, or the humility of Jesus, or any other aspect of the character of Jesus, we are to be challenged. Are we like that? Are we like him? Now, if it's not too early, we'll have the band up, please. Nobody's going to complain, are they? Given you, I've given you a lot of meat this morning. A lot of, lot of verses, a lot of references. And after all this, we, we shouldn't be surprised that Paul's favourite way of signing off almost all his letters is with these words. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Huh? I haven't got all the references. I've got the references here. And then when we turn to 1 Corinthians 13, verse 14, the end of, sorry, 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 13, 14, we get that fuller Trinitarian form. May the grace 
of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. What better wish, what better prayer could we have for one another as we go into a new year? So let's do it now. <laughs> you don't have to stand up. It's all right, okay. <laughs> let's, let's do it now. Let, let's have it. The grace, the grace of our Lord, Lord Jesus, Jesus Christ, Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all now for more. Well, it's certainly been 2023, 20, 24 anyway. Isn't that lovely? So if you've experienced the graciousness of God in Je through Jesus in, during 2023, you can be assured that you will experience the graciousness of God in 2024. What more can I say? That's the message today, folks.